All right. Is this better? Um, the audio, I was told, was bad. Is this better? Sounds better? Wait, hold on. It takes a bit. All right. Let's see when my face pops up. Video is a little bit delayed. There we go. Is this better? All right. Fantastic. I apologize for that. I don't know why it does that. I think there's a glitch on the system. But if I start with um, video, it totally disrupts uh, the logistics. Well, my audio board is also fritzing out, as I can see, because it's digital. It's like shaking. All right, here we go again. So welcome, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. Today is January 3rd, 2023. I do have the 118th swearing-in of Congress. It's not much. It's a pony show. I'm not even going to entertain it. If I want to learn about the dirt, I sign up to Legistorm. You should sign up for that, too. It's free. There's paid features, too, but it's free. Now, today I started off with songs, old school, who can say they don't like it. But today, we're going to dispel a lie, a beautiful lie. We all love beautiful lies. I do, too. Beautiful lies. Fantastic lies. <laughs> but that's just it. It's a lie. So... Before we get into the lies we need to cover, I want us to just dispel something about cryptocurrency. See, crypto is something that a lot of people don't understand, other people do, other people think they understand it, but we need to talk to financials about it. The reason I say this is because, you know, more and more people are finding what I said a long time ago, problems with their banks. Here's a video for you to watch. It's kind of hard just because we don't keep everything out here. So you gotta like go to the back and get or whatever it is, but well, it's like it's in my account. You feel me? I understand that, but it's not as simple as I can just go back. Damn, bro! It's not like I'm asking for fifty thousand dollars, bro. I'm asking for nine thousand dollars. Like some, you know what I'm saying? I understand that. Of my money, my guy, my money. It's in my bank account, my guy. I understand that, but it's also not my money. So can you call somebody that ask them today go get it from the back because it's, I I didn't wait when I put it in my account, bro. So seems like the banks are easy to take your money but won't give it to you. I told you this a long time ago, right? That we're going to have a problem with the banks. They don't have money. They're out of money. Are they though? Or is it that their bank branches are not allowed to have money? So let's talk about cryptocurrency. But before you can understand cryptocurrency, right? Before we can understand cryptocurrency, we need to understand what series three is. Now, I have mentioned in the past before that some of my assignments required me, and that's where I actually met James Comey in New York when I was training, um, right as he was assistant um, U.S. attorney. Same building, actually. Um, where I was being trained to get my Series 7, 3, 24, 63, of course, because for one of the roles, I had to be a stockbroker, while all the thirsty agents that worked as private contractors all entered Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns. I went to a chop shop. <laughs> you know, um, always a smart one. <laughs> always the one that was eager because most of the people that were 
studying with me were in their, uh, you know, early 30s and 40s that were more brick and mortar. But to understand crypto, you have to understand money. To understand money, you'll have to understand how they see crypto. Well, how the SEC uh, sees crypto. Not how, you know, your crypto peddler sees it. Not how someone who games the market sees it. But actual a financial perspective. Now, that's going to be a pretty short portion because I want to spend three quarters of the show going over a beautiful lie that I'm going to dispel for you because it's important I do that. Because if we're hitting on to one part of the lie, we never get the truth. All right, so in order for us to understand crypto, we must understand the licensing behind crypto. So here's a video from a guy, and he explains to you what a Series 3 license is. Take a listen. Welcome to the Investors Trading Academy Talking Glossary of Financial Terms and Events. Our word of the day is Series 3 license. The Series 3 license authorizes representatives to sell commodity futures contracts which are generally considered the riskiest publicly traded investments available. Representatives that carry the Series 3 license tend to specialize in commodities and often do little or no other business of any type. The Series 3 exam is approximately 120 minutes long and covers all forms of commodities transactions, options, hedging, margin requirements and other regulations. An offshoot of this license is the Series 31 license which allows representatives to sell managed futures. And that was short and easy. Good explanation of what the license is. Now let's talk about what a commodity is. A lot of people, you know, we have problems with definitions lately, so we should talk about this. Because there's a lot of people that will urge you to understand crypto as a dollar. It's not. It's not a fiat currency, but it is because it represents something. And that's a commodity. And here we go to understand why cryptocurrency is not considered currency, but a commodity. Commodities are a part of our everyday lives. Traditional commodities are the raw materials we put into other products we use in practically every area of our lives without a second thought. The more traditional commodities fit broadly into the areas of agriculture, energy, livestock and metals. In the mornings when we get up and get dressed, we may use the commodity of cotton when we pull on our t-shirts or the commodity of gold and silver when we dress in our jewelry. At breakfast, we consume the commodities of oats, wheat, coffee and sugar through the products that we buy. And we cook breakfast using the natural gas piped into our home through our energy supplier. Mum and Dad Carter are sophisticated long-term investors in equities and bonds. They've been mulling over adding commodities to their portfolio to enhance their returns and to smooth out volatility in their portfolio. Mum and Dad Carter can invest in commodities in a number of ways. They can invest directly, but that limits them to materials they can physically store. Or they could trade in commodities through future contracts. This gives an investor with the right know-how exposure to commodity prices through the futures market. Futures contracts are financial contracts that buy specific quantities of a commodity at a specific price and delivered at a specific date in the future. 
These financial contracts fall into the derivatives category and are obligations to buy the underlying asset. The prices of these contracts are based on the underlying commodity and are often used by speculators who believe the commodity price will move in a specific direction. Small movements can result in very big gains or losses. There are many risks that can make your investment go wrong. Mom and Dad Carter, while confident in their investing abilities, thinks it all sounds a bit complex and risky. The other option our investing duo can consider to gain greater profits that doesn't require them to purchase underlying assets is another derivative instrument called CFD trading, which means contract for difference. This is essentially an agreement between two parties to exchange the differences between the opening and closing price of a contract. CFDs allow mum and dad to use leverage. This is added flexibility because they must only pay a fraction of the total value up front. So while they have the opportunity to maximize their gains, equally, they can also have greater losses than the amount they put in initially. Plus, mum and dad should take into consideration not only the interest charged daily, but also any commission and financing charges for transactions from the broker. They don't have to do the high-stakes game of the futures market. They could, for example, buy shares in companies that are engaged in producing and extracting commodities such as oil companies, cereal manufacturers, or mining. Another option is to leave it to the professionals through the diversity of a pooled investment club that manages trading in futures on behalf of its members for a fee. They could also use the exchange-traded fund. or mutual funds that follow one or more commodity. The fund manager of these funds allocates funds into each commodity and buys future contracts. This may seem dull, but for the Carters, it means more time spent with the kids. Remember, trading involves high risks and can generate substantial losses. and can generate substantial losses. Well, how do we find out what exactly is the way they trade? That was a good summary. Well, let's go to another summary. How the futures exam, that's what it's called, futures exam. It's a national commodities futures exam. I actually took this test. It wasn't so difficult once you understand how it is. Um, for me, it was easy because I understood hedge funds and that's how I kind of simulate it, even though they're two different types of monsters, uh, it kind of seems similar to me. So here's a short clip so you understand how one would pass, right? What you need to know. And this is like the cliff notes. So all of you can probably take away because then we're going to get into why the SEC sees Bitcoin as a commodity. And a lot of people want to make it a currency and exchange it like a security, but it can't be because it's a commodity. And I've talked about this before. You know, a lot of people sell things online, you know, as crypto. Oh, you're going to buy this. And most people interpret it as, you know, a meme coin or something. But most of these coins represent software, which is also a commodity. Cyber, intangible things are that. Now, let's... Take a look. So that way you understand what's coming and you're not scared of it and feeling confused. 
think of it on the basis of trading pork rinds. You've heard that on the radio. The price of wheat, the price of oil. Well, it'll be the price of this cryptocurrency or representative of a blockchain. The only one that could actually simulate a security is actually Ethereum because there's so many markets based on it. Um, whereas Bitcoin, there's no contracts based on Bitcoin. Bitcoin just simply is, hence that's the commodity. So one would assume that Ethereum is the currency of that commodity, which creates a new kind of trading space, I guess. I mean, that's how I would see it. Um, here we go. Greetings, Series 3 test takers. This is Dean Tenney. I'm coming to you from my studio here in fabulous Las Vegas. I'm coming to you in March of uh, 2022. The uh, channel has just been up and running for about 14 months now, and we have over 330,000 views, closing in on 5,000 subscribers, and what I'm doing is opening up additional playlists on the channel for uh, some examples now that we've got some of the other uh, playlists for SIE built out, 7 built out, all 65, 66 almost built out. So uh, time to add the Series 3. I'm excited about adding some content to the Series 3 playlist. It was always one of my favorite things to teach, and I had the honor and privilege of teaching the Series 3 to portfolio managers at BlackRock and T. Rowe Price and uh, major agricultural companies like uh, ADM and Cargill and uh, doing open enrollment series of freeze. Don't know if those will ever come back again, but those were always fun. <laughs> you know, uh, half the class are hedgers. They actually have you know, soybeans or, you know, uh, wheat or whatever the case may be. And they show up in pickup trucks and, uh, you know, overalls and lunch boxes and, and cowboy boots and, you know, uh, are trying to lay off risk their hedgers. And the other half of the class are the speculators. I show up in uh, Carreras and pinky rings and gold chains and Armani suits. I want to know where the most expensive place to have lunch is. And, you know, sit on opposite sides of class. They need each other. But, you know, uh, oh, well, right? So always fun. So who knows? Maybe we'll get to do that again. Um, we always start the playlist with an introduction to the exam itself, just so you uh, know the dragon that needs to be slayed. Uh, I would suggest you print out the entire uh, uh, test specification. And at some point, I'll explicate them. Our first content is probably going to be here in the near future, uh, dual use content. I've had people taking 65, 66, and they've got a couple of really basic futures questions. So, uh, first content is probably going to be a basic introduction to the futures markets. Anyways, as you can see here, you have 120 multiple choice questions, uh, on trading theory, terminology, basic functions and hedging. People are coming to the markets to lay off risk. A margin is a little bit different in uh, futures than it is in terms of uh, what you may be familiar with in, in terms of stocks. Uh, we're going to talk about types of orders. There are types of orders in Series 3 that don't exist in Series 7, for example. Market has touched, that kind of thing. Kind of reverse stop order kind of stuff. Technical analysis is uh, big time. You uh, need to be able to determine a weakening and strengthening basis and how that affects uh, profit or loss. That's uh, important. Uh, spreading, remember, is uh, the difference between two futures positions. So that's what the word spreading means. That's on the exam. And we said there's uh, speculation and there's hedging. There's also options on futures. And the options on futures are very uh, you know, familiar, should be familiar if you're familiar with the uh, options on stocks. You've got the futures markets. 
had options before the stock market did. And a lot of the option strategies actually come from uh, the futures markets. Anyway, that's uh, 85 questions, 71% of your exam. And uh, kind of odd, you need to get 70% on both part one and part two, which is the regulatory framework, 35 questions. Uh, it's been my experience that very rarely does anybody not pass the regulatory framework. So that's a lot of aim and shoot, point and click stuff. Uh, maybe you're not going to need, need to spend as much time there, uh, but that's, you know, what that is. You have two and a half hours to complete, so you shouldn't have any kind of a time constraint. There should be plenty of time for you to uh, get this done on the time allocated. The way to make sure you don't have a time constraint is to make sure you do your practice exam. It's just aggravating when people don't uh, have a time constraint on the actual exam because that's just kind of evidence that they didn't uh, set the clock and do the practice exam in a way that should be done like the real exam. So. Anyways, looking forward to uh, building out this playlist like we have the others on the channel. Um, give me any comments you want, any lecture requests. Uh, we accept lecture requests if you have something you'd like me to do first in terms of the Series 3 playlist. As you can see on his video here, trading theory, terminology, basic functions, and hedging, margins, types of orders, customer accounts, analysis basis, spreading, speculating, options hedging, speculating, and spreading. This is how they view cryptocurrency as a commodity. And here is a short clip, and I'm only touching base on this for those of you that are curious about this. You know, kind of like I said, Kronos, for example, Crow from Crypto.com, I find it as a commodity, as an investment in the company. It's their own currency, their own contract, their own trading basis. Hence, it would be considered a safe bet, right? Because you're investing literally in the company. So even if it's low, it'll go high. I mean, that that was a dollar at some point, and now it's like pennies on the dollar. And that's fine because those are shares in their platform, in their blockchain platform. I think it's the only one that, well, no, there's others too, but it actually uses a memo. So it's got an extra thing, which can be seen by the SEC, as a security considering the way it's being traded. But this is just me spitballing, not getting into too much detail. I only wanted to bring it up because it's going to be a hot topic coming soon. And there's a lot of people that are telling you, oh, you know, the SEC, XRP, it's all about commodities. And take a listen. You said in your speech that neither uh, Bitcoin nor Ether would be considered securities and thus not under the purview of the SEC. Can you very briefly explain what your reasoning is? Sure, Bob. I, these are complex facts and circumstances tests, but when we look at Bitcoin or if we look at Ether and the highly decentralized nature of the networks, we don't see a third-party promoter where applying the disclosure regime would make a lot of sense. So we're, we're comfortable uh, in some... Uh, sort of viewing these as uh, items that don't have to be regulated as securities. Now, you also talked about initial coin offerings or ICOs, which are ways of raising money using cryptocurrencies. Did you use a similar reasoning? You implied that most seem to be securities, ICOs, but some of them are not. Can you just show us what the difference is simply? I, I wish we had a, a simple way to uh, say this is in and this is out. As I mentioned, there are usually facts and circumstances tests, but a key factor is, is there a third-party promoter here who knows much more about the instrument uh, than investors might? 
if, if that's the case, that's sort of an initial indicator that we might have a securities transaction. Uh, if people are buying it for investment and for a return and looking to that party for a return, then again, that's an indicia of a security. If you have, on the other hand, a token that's just used in the network for a good or service, and that's why people are buying it, and that service is available and up and running, and not under development, then you may not have a security. Mr. Hinman Kelly here, just to be clear, does that mean if stocks didn't have a third-party promoter, they wouldn't be securities? Well, as you know, Kelly, stocks represent an interest in an enterprise where there's a management uh, team, and it's really, whenever you're buying a stock or a bond, you're relying on that management team those are the third-party efforts we're talking about, where someone is creating value for you, you're passive, and you're expecting their efforts to generate a return. So just to be clear, for example, a book of a month club uh, that we're joining on an ICO or a golf club membership, we're not expecting any financial gain there. That would not be considered a security, am I right? Fair enough. Uh, if you have that uh, system up and running, if you have... Uh, someone promoting the next golf course and is selling uh, interest and the architect and the land and all the, uh, the key items aren't there yet and you buy 25 uh, memberships, that may be an investment. You're looking for a return on that. On the other hand, if you go down the road and you buy an investment or you buy a membership in a, a club that's up and running and you just use it to play a round of golf, that's probably just a good old golf membership. You and uh, Jay Clayton, the head of the SEC, have been very adamant that you are not going to change the definition of securities laws to fit this new technology. One of the points you made in your speech was the concern about the fraud that was out there uh, in this space. Are you seeing significant fraud? Uh, we do certainly see cases where people are trying to repackage uh, an investment opportunity as a coin or a uh, a token and saying that somehow because it's labeled that way it, it's not an investment security and in many cases we have seen people doing that where the underlying enterprise is not a solid investment opportunity it's been um, mis misrepresented so we do see fraud uh, and we do see it being packaged up this way uh, on the other hand we think there's an enormous amount of promise in uh, the distributed ledger technology and blockchain blockchain technology and we meet frequently with uh, legitimate parties here really trying to do something innovative and we're trying to help them navigate the securities laws as they do so. Hey there, thanks for checking out. Help them navigate. So Congress is now having a speech. They're talking about, you can listen to it. Here you go. In these communities of every member in our conference, and I mm. can guarantee he has shown up in the districts of our many of our colleagues across the aisle as well. Oh, they're His doing relentless vote. effort has yielded an extraordinary new House Republican majority so. that represents our country's greatness from all walks of life. Pick a sign. When the last Congress gaveled in two years ago, every new Republican welcome to our conference was a woman, veteran, or minority. Today's House Republican Conference is the most diverse Republican conference in our nation's history. All right. I, we don't need to see the pony show and the scripted things of who they're going to put and push. We want to know who they're going to vote into. Fair enough. But I really want to delve into lies. Lies, lies, lies. So, I'm going to play two songs. One about lies and one about a love story. 
I'm really, really sorry that I have to do this to you. And then, well, actually, let's take a break first. Let me show you a clip of someone, a name, which is important, that will come up as we have discussions, but the movie is kind of, it's a movie that you want to watch. How's that? It is a movie that you want to watch on your own time. I mean, if I had Twitch, we'd totally watch it together. But here is a trailer of a film for our quick break. And then we'll enter in with some music to put you in the mood from what I'm about to shatter for many. See you in a sec. I've seen a hundred grand in cash, I took the trip to hell and back I've been around every time, nothing like you And I've seen lights up in the sky, and I've seen ghosts alone at night I've seen some things, but they were nothing like you So, the JFK Files Everyone wants to talk about JFK, but nobody wants to say what is really going on so I think it's important we start a little bit of a mashup, a mashup of discussions. So let's start first with Watch the Wives. Watch the Wives. Watch the Wives. Here we go. And for those of you that I shatter thoughts in history you think you knew, I I'm sorry. Truth is truth. Watch the wives. Uh, my mother passed on. She was surrounded by her friends and her family and her books uh, and the people and the things that she loved. For more than a generation, she has been America's unwilling icon. She became the most popular first lady in history. Her style epitomized an era. Her courage during times of tragedy earned her the admiration of the world. Born Jacqueline Bouvier 64 years ago, she grew up in a privileged family of status in New York. In 1951, the year she graduated from George Washington University, she met a charismatic young senator at a dinner party, John F. Kennedy. But John Davis, Jackie's cousin, who wrote a book about the Kennedys, recalls that at first, Jackie had her doubts. Oh, you know, he's very charming, but he's so vain. He uh, is always having his hair done specially and puffed up for the cameras. She said he thinks he's going to be president someday. At just 24, Jackie married the dashing Kennedy, who was 12 years her senior. How long did you know each other before you were married? We knew each other about a year. Where did you go on your honeymoon? We went to Acapulco, Mexico. Jackie became a political asset by John's side. We visited 184 communities and I think slept in nearly every city in Massachusetts. After their first child died prematurely, Caroline was born in the winter of 1957. Soon after, they began campaigning as a family. Pleasure to have you here and I want you to meet my daughter Caroline and uh, my wife uh, Jackie. How do you do? I'm glad you had a chance to see something in the Senate. When he made a run for the presidency in 1960, Kennedy aides feared the public would find Jackie too pretty and too upscale. She proved them all wrong. While Jack won the votes, she won the hearts of America. JFK became the youngest elected president in history. 
John Jr. was born within weeks. There hadn't been toddlers running around the corridors of the White House for some time. By the time the Kennedys celebrated their first White House Christmas, glamorous Jackie was already making her mark. She was uh, a whole new fresh breath of air. Letitia Baldridge was the Miss Manners of her day and Jackie's social secretary. She says Jackie brought an air of culture and sophistication to the White House. She brought great musicians and poets and playwrights and everybody to the White House. In 1962, Jackie totally redecorated America's most famous residence and brought TV cameras inside for a special White House tour. I feel so strongly that the White House should have as fine a collection of American pictures as possible. So important the setting in which the presidency is presented to the world. With her own inimitable style, Jackie became America's premier trend-setting first lady. There's no question that Mrs. Onassis was probably the greatest fashion icon that ever lived. Two years ago, I said that uh, introduced myself in Paris by saying that I was the man who had accompanied uh, Mrs. Kennedy to Paris. I'm getting that somewhat that same sensation uh, as I travel around uh, Texas. 1963 was the year triumph turned to tragedy. First, Jackie's fourth child, Patrick, died three days after he was born. Then the profound tragedy in Dallas, the assassin's bullet that changed American history and rocked the world. Though grief-stricken, Jackie maintained her grace and dignity throughout the ordeal, earning her further admiration that would outlive her. In a surprising move, five years later, Jackie married again, this time to a man 28 years older, the Greek shipping tycoon Aristotle Onassis. He felt in some ways he'd been tricked into the marriage which was totally untrue, but in his thinking, the way he, he worked it out, uh, he should never have married her. Um, and I think Jackie felt the same way too. When Aristotle died seven years later, Jackie was an ocean away in New York. She was launching a career in publishing, and of all things, Jackie O became a single working mother. It was Jackie that let women go to work. When Mrs. Onassis entered the workforce, it signaled to women it was okay to go to work. But over the last 10 years, friends say that most of all, Jackie cherished her privacy. She liked nothing more than blending in anonymously to enjoy life's simple pleasures. Her cancer had spread. The doctors said they could do no more. On Wednesday, she came home to die here at a residence on New York City's Fifth Avenue. Her children and family rallied to her side. It's a very difficult time uh, uh, for, uh, for Jackie and and for the family, and I think we all just wish her uh, a great deal of love, and, and uh, there was a, a great, uh, very warm feeling of uh, family and love that was in, in her room uh, this morning. If there is one thing Jackie Kennedy Onassis has taught her family, friends, and the world, it's how to deal with the loss of a loved one. But no one was prepared for her sudden death last night. She did it in her own way, and on her own terms, and, uh, and we all feel lucky for that. And now she's in God's hands. Jackie Kennedy Onassis was a paradox, the most public but very private figure the world has known. She was the closest thing to a queen that America ever had. She's left us now, but her legend will outlive us all. There will never be another Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. Jackie, Jacqueline Bouvier. So, 
you know, when your kids are held against you, you know, you will do anything. And, you know, the story of Jackie hasn't been told properly. You know, she wanted to get into publishing. She started her new job. And on the first day of her new job, almost reminded me like on the first day I got my orders, right? Right, where I was like, damn, I'm going on an oiler. I had no idea there was like no smoking, maybe in the ask. But on her first day of her job, some guy said, mm, I don't think you should be here. You should go to Washington, D.C. And then suddenly she meets Senator Kennedy. <laughs> and she's the first lady that brought CAA, singers and actors and cameras, into the White House. You see, you don't just hijack a population from one day to another. You gradually bring it in and make it amazing. I mean, even her second husband's kids were all taken out, too. Airplane. And I forget. The stories on, you know, his daughter Christina are so mixed. <clears throat> Was it an overdose? Was it this? Was it Who knows? And the thing is, she's a widow and suddenly she's with the shipping tycoon that gave zero F and dominated everything. I mean, you know. Now, I think we should look at this video. And again, not everything is accurate. Sometimes misinformation is very important. It plays two roles. One, it gives you cover. Two, it provokes conversation. So let's get going. Hey friend, welcome to my channel, Queen Elude, where we deep dive and break down the most iconic stars in history. If you're not yet subscribed, please be sure to do so and turn your notifications on so you never miss an upload. Now let's get into this video. So Jackie O became the face of a country in shock and grief after her husband was killed in a shocking event. Even now, when people hear her name, they can't help but picture her in that pink Chanel suit that was covered in blood. But Jackie all went on to live a long and interesting life that isn't nearly as well known, which we're going to get into. We're going to talk about her relationship with her sister, her very strained relationship with her sister. But in a world of politics, wealth, money, power, and mobs, there's always going to be its fair share of scandals, right? So Jackie became an expert at shutting out unwanted attention in public. She completely ignored all the stares. The late artist Andy Warhol noticed, saying she existed in her own little vacuum. I guess she had to or she'd go crazy. Now we're going to get into her fashion and diet and all of those things first. That's lighthearted before we get into the more intense topic because she was known as the style icon and is still known today as one of the most well-dressed first ladies ever in American history. During her husband's presidency, Jacqueline Kennedy became a fashion icon all over the world. After the election in 1960, she asked Oleg Cassini, a French-born American fashion designer in front of the Kennedy family, to make her a new outfit for a public appearance as first lady. Kennedy preferred French couture, particularly the work of Chanel, Balenciaga, and Givenchy, but was aware that in her role as first lady, she would be expected to wear American designers' work. When she saw that her taste in Paris fashion was being criticized in the press, 
She wrote to fashion editor Diana Vreeland to ask for suggestions of good American designers, especially those who could make the Paris look. Her fashion choices were heavily imitated by the fashion industry and a sizable portion of young women. Kennedy was named to the International Best Dress List Hall of Fame in 1965. During her time in the White House and afterwards, Kennedy cared a lot about how she looked and how she was perceived. Even though the former First Lady smoked and loved Newports, she never let anyone take a picture of her smoking. Firstladies.org says that she told her staff not to take pictures of her smoking. Now, as far as her diet, did you guys know she once fired one of her chefs because the chef went and sold recipes to Weight Watchers? Mm. She didn't like sweet things. She said, I eat an apple once in a while when I have lunch with the kids. Her daily diet consisted of two boiled eggs and Hollywood toast with honey, tea, and skim milk. Lunch was boiled beef, cottage cheese, or something of the like, and skim milk. Dinner was meat and watercress, salad, or whatever vegetables there is. Now, let's get into her childhood. Jacqueline Lee Bouvier was born on July 28, 1929, at Southampton Hospital in Southampton, New York, to Wall Street stockbroker John Bernou, Black Jack III, and socialite Janet Norton Lee. Her mother was of Irish descent, and her father had French, Scottish, and English ancestry. Jacqueline Bouvier grew up in Manhattan and at Lasada. She looked up to her father who favored her over her sister, referring to his elder daughter as the most beautiful daughter a man ever had. Jacqueline was an enthusiastic equestrian who competed in the sport from a young age, and horseback riding remained a lifelong passion for her. She studied ballet, was a voracious reader, and excelled at learning foreign languages such as French, Spanish, and Italian. She was an intelligent student who misbehaved frequently. One of her teachers described her as a darling child, the prettiest little girl, very clever, very artistic, and full of the devil." End quote. Her mother explained that her behavior as a result of her finishing her assignments ahead of her classmates and then acting out in boredom. Her behavior improved after the headmistress warned her that if she did not behave, none of her positive qualities would matter. The Bouvier's marriage was strained by the father's alcoholism and extramarital affairs, and they struggled financially after the 1929 Wall Street crash. The press published intimate details of their split in 1936 and 1940. According to her cousin John H. Davis, Jacqueline's parents' divorce caused her to withdraw into her own world. The Bouvier sisters missed their mother's wedding to standard oil hair due to World War II, travel restrictions. Jacqueline Bouvier maintained contact with her biological father, but she also looked up to her stepfather. He provided her with a safe home and the privileged upbringing she never would have had without him. While adjusting to her mother's remarriage, she experienced feelings of isolation with the new life and the new social circles of her stepfather. She put these feelings down to the fact that she was Catholic and the product of a divorcee. Jackie was praised for her wit, her accomplishments as a horsewoman, and her unwillingness to become a housewife. In her high school yearbook, she later hired Nancy Tuckerman, a friend from the early years, to be her social secretary in the White House. When she graduated, she was one of the top students in her class and the recipient of the Maria McKinney Memorial Award for Excellence in Literature. Before starting college, she made her debut in New York social scenes and quickly became a regular fixture. She was named Debutante of the Year by Hearst columnist Igor Cassini. She participated in the Smith College Study Abroad program in France during her junior year, attending both the University of Grenoble and the Sorbonne. Shortly after returning to the United States, she enrolled at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., where she earned a B.A. in French literature in 1951. 
While attending George Washington, Jacqueline Bouvier won a 12-month junior editorship at Vogue magazine. She had been selected over several hundred other women nationwide. On her first day at Vogue, the managing editor advised her to quit and go back to Washington. According to biographer Barbara Leaning, the editor was concerned about Bouvier's marriage prospects. She was 22 years of age and was considered too old to be single in her social circle. She followed the advice left the job and returned to Washington after only one day of work. After a dinner party in May of 1952, Jackie Bouvier and U.S. Representative John F. Kennedy were introduced by a mutual friend journalist Charles, Charles L. Bartlett. She found herself drawn to Kennedy because of his charm, intelligence, and fortune. Catholicism, a love of writing and reading, and international travel experience were additional points of connection between the two. Jackie also wasn't sure that JFK was the one for her. She said mean things about the president in her diary. For example, she wrote, He has a funny body. He is skinny and has toothpick legs. It sounds like Joe Kennedy, JFK's father, was very picky about who his son would marry. At the end of the day, this wasn't just about love. It was also a big step in his career. JFK needed a very special kind of woman by his side if he wanted to be president. And Jackie was excellent for the job, according to Joe Kennedy Sr. She came from a good family, went to a good school, and had good sense of style. Some people say that he's the one that pressured JFK to marry her. While Kennedy was busy campaigning for Massachusetts U.S. Senate seat, their relationship started to blossom, and by November, he had popped the question. Their engagement was officially announced on June 25, 1953. She was only 24 years old, and he was 36 at the time. Jackie and JFK were married in a mass celebration by Archbishop Richard Cushing of Boston on September 12, 1953 at St. Mary's Church in Newport, Rhode Island. As a social event of the season, the wedding attracted approximately 1,200 guests to the reception that followed at Hammersmith Farm. The couple had a rough go of it in the beginning of their marriage. As a result of Addison's disease and a war injury, John F. Kennedy experienced chronic and sometimes debilitating back pain, and in late 1954, he underwent a nearly fatal spinal operation. Jacqueline Kennedy had a miscarriage in 1955 and gave birth to a stillborn daughter, Arabella, in August 1956. On November 27, 1957, Kennedy became a mother for the first time. Along with her husband, she appeared on the cover of Life on April 21, 1958, holding their infant daughter for his re-election to the Senate. During the campaign, they took some trips together in an effort to lessen the physical separation that marked their first five years of marriage. John F. Kennedy began to see the benefit of his wife's involvement in his congressional campaign very quickly. Kenneth O'Donnell recalled that the size of the crowd was twice as big when she accompanied her husband and that she was always cheerful and obliging. However, John's mom, Rose, noted that Jackie was not a natural-born campaigner because she was timid and didn't like the spotlight. John was elected to a second term in November 1958, and he said Jackie was simply invaluable. He went on to run for president, and while running for office, John F. Kennedy lived up to his reputation as a player. He had a few affairs, but one with a woman named Judith Exner, who worked for the mob, caused a lot of trouble. Both JFK and Jackie Kennedy had a rough time on the campaign trail, but on November 8, 1960, they were finally rewarded for all their hard work. John F. Kennedy became the 35th president of the United States of America on that day. Now, rumors about Kennedy's extramarital affairs persisted throughout their 10-year marriage and continue to circulate today. 
Decades after his death, these rumors are still here. In a new article in People magazine, friends of the Kennedys and people who have written extensively about their lives say that Jackie Kennedy may have known about some of her husband's affairs and may have agreed with him about them. An unofficial biography says that Jackie Kennedy wasn't always so understanding of her husband's businesses. In this book, the author says that Joe Kennedy Sr., Jackie's father-in-law, offered Jackie a huge sum of money to put up with her husband's constant cheating. If JFK brought back any diseases, that price would go up to a cool $20 million. JFK and Marilyn Monroe met at dinner in New York. The relationship that followed was short and mostly took place at Bing Crosby's house in Palm Springs. However, it seems that Monroe had hopes of becoming the first lady. And JFK had his own Bill Clinton scandal going on. As a 19-year-old intern at the White House, Alfred lost her V-card to the, her innocence, you can say, to the president and had an affair with him for 18 months. She lost her V-card on the bed that Jackie Kennedy and John F. Kennedy shared their marital bed. Mm. A few years ago, she spoke about their relationship, including the fact that JFK used substances with her for fun. In the Kennedy White House, there were two secretaries whose main job was to go bare without any clothes on, swimming with the president in the enclosed pool. They were also taken to Berlin, Rome, Ireland, and Costa Rica on business trips. After JFK, and JFK went on to have many more affairs. Guys, as we do more of these breakdowns of these starlets, y'all gonna see his name pop up a lot, even with Grace Kelly. I just did one for Grace Kelly. So we all know about the assassination that happened with JFK. And this is just going to get pretty interesting. After JFK passed away, Jackie O boarded Air Force One where a change of clothes had been laid out. As she explained to Life Magazine, she wiped some blood off her face. One second later, I thought, why did I wash that blood off? I should have left it there. Let them see what they have done, end quote. That's why Jackie O refused to change into the fresh, clean clothes. By keeping her blood-stained suit on, she intentionally created a powerful and moving image. She even asked to be photographed as she left the plane. There are a lot of theories about what happened. These theories included the CIA, Vice President Lyndon B. Johnson, Cuban Prime Minister Fidel Castro, the KGB. However, a few people have thought that Jackie Kennedy herself, JFK's wife, could have been the one. Most independent investigators agree that 24-year-old former U.S. Marine Lee Harvey Oswald, the man accused of JFK's, you know, demise, was either an innocent patsy or not the only person to do the deed. Jackie didn't go to President Lyndon Johnson's inauguration in 1965, even though LBJ asked her several times. A month later, when she didn't show up for the opening of the White House Rose Garden, she gave Johnson the high hat again. She sent her mother instead, but her mother also didn't want to go because she thought LBJ, Lyndon B. Johnson, was the one that did the deed that took the life of President Kennedy. One day in the mid-1960s, while Jackie was walking in Manhattan with her daughter Caroline, a woman ran at them and grabbed Caroline saying, your mother is a wicked woman who has killed three people. The stranger yelled at the young girl, and your father is still alive, end quote. Several authors say that the Chicago mob, also known as the outfit, was to blame for John F. Kennedy's election as president in 1960. This is based on claims made by people who are connected in some way to organized crime in Chicago. You guys look that up too, that goes real deep. It is said that before the election, Joseph Kennedy, John Kennedy's father, met with the outfit boss, Sam Giancana, and made a deal with him. Giancana thought that if he helped Kennedy get elected, Kennedy would lay off organized crime when he was president. So far, as we know, the outfit kept its end of the deal, but the Kennedys broke their side of the deal by putting more pressure on the outfit 
in the Costa Nostra in general. In several versions of the story, the outfit took the life of John and Robert Kennedy as a way of getting back at the government. Biographer Christopher Anderson said, only one person really understood the pain Jackie went through after JFK was, you know, and by the winter of 1964, he and Jackie were lovers. And Robert F. Kennedy is JFK's brother. And that was also Jackie Kennedy's brother-in-law, who was married at the time. During their trips together, she and Robert shared a bedroom. And in 1966, when Bobby was marched in the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City, she jumped out of the crowd and kissed him. It is said that the affair lasted three years. But Kennedy experts all denied these allegations, saying, It's a new low, and you just wonder how far people are willing to go. Lawrence Lemer, author of three books about the Kennedys, told the New York Daily News. Jackie's brother-in-law, Staz Radziwell, called her from London at 4 a.m. New York time on June 5, 1968, to tell her that Robert F. Kennedy had been shot. This is what Jackie said. She said they're killing Kennedys in America. Terrified by the latest tragic twist in the Kennedy family saga and fearing for her children's safety, Jackie needed a new scenery. In 1968, five years after John F. Kennedy's death, Jackie married a Greek shipping magnate named Aristotle Onassis. Onassis had a relationship with Jackie's sister, Lee, and Lee still liked the Greek businessmen. So, Jackie had this younger sister, Lee. You remember the dad favored Jackie over Lee, so, mm. Lee reportedly asked, how can she do this to me when she heard that Jackie was going to marry her old boyfriend? After this, their already strained relationship never really got better. Jackie not only broke the heart of her own sister, but she also made people dislike her. Headlines in Jackie stuck with her scandalous new boyfriend no matter what. She got married to Onassis in a surprise ceremony in Greece. From what people have said about the day, it sounds like a real circus. Poor Lee, her sister, had to witness her older sister marry her own ex-boyfriend. And Onassis married Jackie so he could have them a trophy wife, the most beautiful woman in the world. Jackie married Onassis so she could feel safe and have money to take care of herself. Both of them got something, but it wasn't enough. Jackie always spent more than her allowance, and the two of them were clearly not a good match. Multiple sources say that they didn't talk much at night, and that over time, Onassis started calling Jackie the witch. Jackie Kennedy's marriage to Aristotle Onassis caused her popularity to decline sharply among an American public who viewed it as a betrayal of JFK. Her lavish lifestyle as Onassis' trophy wife, in contrast to the shy, selfless, and sacrificing mother the American public had come to respect as first lady, led the press to portray her as a spendthrift and a reckless woman. Onassis had all the money in the world, but it is said that Aristotle went back to Maria Callas a month after he and Jackie got married. Still, from the outside, it looked like they were living a jet-set life, sunbathing on their yacht and going to the hottest nightclubs until 1973. Alexander, who was Onassis' son, passed away in a plane crash in 1973. In their grief, the family looked for someone to blame for the strange accident. To no one's surprise, they chose Jackie. Christina Onassis said that the plane went down because of the famous Kennedy curse. She told her father that the curse had spread to the Onassis family and that she will kill us all soon. Then in October 1974, Tina, his first wife and the mother of his children, passed away on an overdose of barbiturates. Onassis must have thought that his daughter had a good idea. Not long after his son passed away, he began trying to get a divorce from Jackie, but it looked like the Kennedy curse would strike again. Onassis was depressed and his health started to get worse right before he could finally divorce her. 
1975, he passed away of lung disease. There was rumors that Onassis had filed for divorce and hired a private investigator to find dirt on his wife before he died, but his daughter, Christina, officially denied it. Even though Jackie battled with his daughter, Christina, in court for a piece of Onassis' estate, in which she got $26 million settlement. Following Onassis' passing, Jackie relocated back to New York City, where she edited for Viking Press and Doubleday, cared for her children and grandchildren, and volunteered. She made peace with the Kennedys and donated to the John F. Kennedy Library and Museum, indicating that this was the case. She fell in love with Maurice Templesman, a kind and quiet diamond merchant. Everyone says that the couple stayed together for the rest of their lives and was very happy. The only problem with Jackie's new relationship was that she loved a man who was already taken. The wife of Templesman was very religious and she refused to go through with a divorce. Instead, the couple broke up in a less formal way. This is why Jackie and Templesman never got married, even though they were very close. And in 1993, Jackie Kennedy Onuk was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma after noticing swollen lymph nodes on her body. After briefly going into remission, she passed away at the age of 64 in 1994 very young. Seems like Onassis and his whole family had strong reason to dislike her and not really believe that she was a good person and every time they were getting close to somewhat of a truth they would pass away from Onassis himself, the son, the mother of the children and all that. It's just weird. It's weird, you know? And um, it seems like Christina settled and let her get that $26 million so that maybe she could spare her life according to all these theories okay but it's all of course theories and it's all alleged and we don't know what the truth is there will always be conspiracy theories with these type of things and I want you guys to comment below your thoughts the only thing I can truly say that I did not like that she did was what she did to her sister but I also kind of get it she was desperate for protection but then your sister your sister I don't know comment below your thoughts and who else would you guys like me to do a video on if you haven't seen my Grace Kelly video Oh, wow. It's been muted. Okay. So the chick we watched just now is one of the people that I highly support. And wh what am I saying with this? I posted in Telegram this morning how, you know, these are people that you should, you know, support. There's a lot of people. You can tip them either on YouTube or support their Patreon because that's media. She's like your inquire that you have, you know, by your supermarket aisle, right? Where, you're just browsing around Hillary's alien baby or whatever. She goes deep dive and she's pretty fantastic. So if we want to change the way the media is, we need to be supporting the people that um, actually do the work for us, you know, in their own thing. Now, uh, just a little update. McCarthy's ahead by six votes so far. Biggs got seven. Other people got four. No one voted present. So it seems like they're all doing the popcorn show, keeping it tight, keeping it tight. Jeffries versus McCarthy. Big though? Like, okay. Anyway, let's get into more of this because you need to see it. But before we go into docus and analysis, let's listen from the mouth of Maria Callas about Anastas. Oh, and by the way, <clears throat> you know, the Boomer era, the Jackie Onassis birth group, you know, they had all tested this out from Matahari, you know, 
We like to think that the CIA, oh, it was created after the OSS. The OSS, remember, was founded by people like the Vanderbilts, the J.P. Morgans. If you watched, enjoy the show, the documentary, you would know this, that all those big names created OSS. And if you noticed in the video, in that documentary, it clearly said that all these people were crooks, cons, or whatever, and honeypots. Funny how they replicated Jackie O for the crown, too, because it worked so well. But, again, you may start a mission and then realize you don't want to do the mission. And sometimes to save your kids, you'll do anything. And her sister was dating a guy that had rights to Mount Ararat. Uh, uh. See, people don't know the history of Aristotle Onassis. You know, everyone knows him as a shipping tycoon, but he was a Greek um, Orthodox Christian that lived in Turkey because Turkey used to be part of Greece, right? And he owns, and I've talked about Mount Ararat before. What is it called? Noah's Ark, where people used to go and take collections of the ship that landed between the peaks. I talked about that before. You should look it up. Now, it's almost like the U.S. government needed to get their hands around him. And, you know, Christina, the daughter that negotiated and just gave her money, well, she died too. It's not a Kennedy curse. It's if you're working for the agency and you flip on them, you're in a lot of trouble. Let's take a listen to see what Maria Callas had to say about Jackie and Onassis. It is be said Maria Callas gave up soon for Aristotle Onassis. Uh, well, I couldn't, I, I could do that without answering that, but I think it's an honest question. Uh, I thought that when I met a man I loved, that I didn't need to sing. Because I think that a woman, the most important thing in a woman is to have a man of her own and make him happy. I don't think that uh, singing is a woman's job. You gave up your career? I didn't give up. I kept on singing. But you see, in our kind of uh, work, we have to keep on and on. You just cannot sing once or twice a year. Then you lose your muscles. Then you lose the training, the habits, the reflexes. So uh, naturally, any man who is in love with you the way he was, I'm sure he was, did not want me to sing. But I had to sing as I we both or I would not make up my mind about marriage because I also had a husband, remember, who was making a lot of trouble. And uh, once you get married and divorced, you're very, very... I, at least, am very uh, frightened of getting married a second time. I don't think I ever will be. Will. Mm-hmm. I don't like using the word never because you never know. You're not sorry you didn't? Did not get married? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I'm not sorry at all. Mm-hmm. I think love is so much better when you're not married. But then people say now, and we're being very comedy today. No, I think it's very, I think it's important that you are. But then people say, Maria Tyrus is broken hearted. She goes, Oh, no. no. She didn't marry him. She married somebody else. Why should I marry? Give me one good reason why I should marry. To I'm happy well. to have the man you love your I have. To have him always. I would not like a man to have him always. To not lose him to somebody else? 
I would take some strides because here a man has a, every right, like a woman has every right, to be able to fall in love with somebody else. There are no chains for love. Are you friends with this, David? Very good friends. Do you know the rumors, of course, too, that you are not friends with Vanessa? I've never met her. We're not friends. I've just never met her. Do you have no bad feelings? Oh. So why should I? Mm-hmm. Of course, if she treats Mrs. Onassis very badly, I might be very angry also because uh, I would do that to any friend, especially to a very dear friend, nearly a husband as Onassis was to me. Mm-hmm. You never said yeah. to yourself, oh, I'd only married, if, you know, five years ago I had married him, uh, this and this and that. But I left him of my own accord. We both agreed to that because... We loved each other maybe too much. And men, strong men or weak men, whoever, I'm not talking about in generally, they usually want to completely dominate a woman, dominate them. And I want to be dominated of my own accord. But no regret. No regret. Who mm. oh, no. Otherwise I would have married him. I have every occasion. But I don't believe in marriage. You recently said in a newspaper interview, I believe I must be just a little American kid at the back of my mind because I wanted someone too charming to come in and take me away. Very true. Do you think he ever knew? <laughs> no, he hasn't. Or rather, he has. Uh, you know, now I'm talking, of course, there's only one man and probably the only one and then husband. It's a Nazis. And you see... Uh, you hope a lot. Maybe it's my fault. I put a man on a pedestal. And uh, I hoped a lot. And I probably was disappointed. And probably it was my fault. You still hope? Hoping what? You still hope charming you come? Well, don't be Prince Charming at our age. Yeah, I mean, at my age, I don't expect it Prince Charming. I expect a mature man who will accept me as I am. Will you guide me? Oh, naturally. You would. Well, at this age, yes. Just when, while we're talking about the past, have you deliberately not wanted to meet Mrs. Anath? Oh, no. And Mr. Anath no. has never wanted to introduce you to women you care so about? Frankly, uh, I have invited her once to, uh, when I invite Mr. Anath to a, uh, a party or a, uh, uh, Gala like the Medea film or an opera, and they invite him, they must invite his wife. And many friends of mine then had said, Well, we will not invite her. I said, Well, you will, I'm sorry, because she is his wife and you must. And we talked about that with Mr. Onassis, and uh, she did not want to come. We said, Therefore, there's no problem. But it's not, I, uh, I hold no grudges. I don't think it's necessary and that it's tiring. And uh, I don't think that in the long run it helps in life. Neither does it help you to look well or live well with yourself. Now, when I live with myself, I have to be 100% honest with myself and be happy with myself. And I have integrity, which is a very expensive, uh, using an Nazi's word, it's a very expensive uh, price to pay for integrity and honesty. I can pay that price. 
Thank you, Madam Charles, for the honesty and the integrity that you've shown us, Mr. Tibbetts. Thank you. Thank you for asking these questions. I couldn't be otherwise. I'm about to tell you. Maria Callas used to discredit Jackie. Was Jackie going to tell the world what really happened to JFK? Were people really going to know that JFK was that era's Obama and, well, he didn't really get handled very well. He had children. See, back then, they couldn't just slot in kids. It wasn't thought of. They couldn't just give kids of somebody else's and create the nuclear family or hire people that would keep their mouth shut. In fact, when you have children, things change. Things really change. Now, I, now uh, for myself, I can tell you in retrospect, right? I remember when I got pregnant with my, with my first child. Completely unexpected. I wasn't supposed to have kids. And um, everyone was pushing me to have an abortion. The, the people I work with, even my mother. You should have an abortion. This isn't something that happens. Um, you know, to, to have a relationship. Also, I had to file paperwork, right? Um, that paperwork... Um, was done so, so Hera's biological father would be closer to me. Um, which they did, but it didn't work out with us. I mean, we were kids. It's like, whatever. Like, I don't care. But I went through the whole process where you actually have to file paperwork to date someone, to see someone. This is why everyone in the intelligence community have sex amongst each other because they're all cleared. Right. And you don't see people that work for the government that are not married to someone outside of the government. This is why Peter Strzok and Lisa Page would have sex with each other. It's normal because you have to do all this paperwork and it drives you insane. It's like and then they dig into their lives and then you find out shit about someone you're dating that you don't want to know or they find out and they hold that. Hence my vengeance. Ha should have known it was way too easy for me to have been married to a foreign individual and no one said anything just so you know where the source of my vengeance is source of my vengeance is aside from the ag and the fbi recently we're talking source of it so jackie left vogue on her first day and they told her you do better in dc ah she went over the river and they said here's what you're going to do we're, we want to change America. We want people to love America after the war and all this crap. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to marry this guy. She didn't even like him. You're going to marry him. Everyone's going to urge him to marry you. We've got it all set up. You're going to bring the cameras, the movies, the singers. You're going to bring America to the forefront where we're leading the way and everybody wants to be like us and you guys are picture perfect and you're going to have kids. That changed it. That changed it for JFK and for Jackie. Jackie didn't want to do it anymore. She hated it. Neither did JFK want to play along anymore. They didn't want to play along. And they held their children hostage. You know, Junior, 
and Aristotle's son both died in a plane crash. Again, you got to watch enjoy the show so you can understand what they did. And then you have Princess Diana coming into the picture to emulate the Kennedy thing. The British are like, well, let's take that operation and implant that on us. And we'll keep her in check. Who doesn't want to be princess and future queen? And then someone comes in and it's like, yo, this shit is totally fake, right? I will swoop you away from it. And Dottie and her found their demise. Just like Jackie found solace in Templeton. Well, she was like, hey, you know, I was tasked to do this. And he loved her for who she was and how broken she was. No one gave her credit. I'm pretty sure she's got stars. Somewhere on that wall in Langley, she should. And I'm pretty sure she told her kids, too. And Junior wasn't wasn't so easy with it. I mean, I don't know what Caroline did. Whatever it is, they know everything anyway. So let's see why the JFK files aren't released. I can tell you as someone... You could believe it or not, that actually has seen them. If you see it, you'll know why they're not released. But you don't have to see it. You can hear it. Trump tweeted that he would release all the files related to President John F. Kennedy's assassination. This after a lot of pushback from government agencies, including the CIA. Right, so today we talked to a former CIA agent living right here in Tampa Bay who says a secret kept this long should have people worried about more than just conspiracy theories. What is still relevant now? 50 years later, that can't be disclosed. For seven years, Andrew Bustamante kept secrets. It was his job as a CIA agent and has a few opinions on the recent release of some of the JFK files. If it's deemed as secret information, it's supposed to have serious damage, serious risk to national security. But he says some secrets, as with these files, five decades later, he just doesn't see risk to national security as a problem. If it's not active, if it's not relevant, then why are we keeping the secret? Why are, that would mean that we are intentionally covering something that does not have immediate impact. And since the assassination of the 35th president of the United States, conspiracy theories have circulated about a possible cover-up or inside job. To think that the government is so well-oiled that it can maintain a secret for that long, maintain an active conspiracy, and maintain a secret for that long, maintain an active conspiracy, is is so well-oiled that it can maintain a secret. ...about possible cover-up or inside... I'm sorry. I wanted to pose on this picture. So copies that are made, three are in Dallas, one's in Louisville, Kentucky, and the other one's in Cleveland, Ohio, just pointing some stuff out. See, you know the story. You have everything you need. You don't need them to release things. You put the puzzle together. Well-oiled machine. Hmm? And like you said, if it's not national security now, what are they really covering up? Well, obviously they're covering up the fact that JFK's marriage was a sham, that Jackie was a CIA agent, she was placed there to handle him. And she hated him because he was not a man that she would have been with. Jackie's background, stockbroker, hmm, Bouvier, oh, Bouvier. Really, is she a Bouvier? So, um... You know, the disruption with the Maria Callas thing, the Mount Autodot, the marrying of Onassis, even though he even said I was tricked into it. The killing of all the kids, they call it the Kennedy curse. No, it's the curse that the agency will do you in six ways from Sunday.
and you have kids, you'll be surprised how many people you are okay to be killed for your kids. So where are the copies of all these? Cleveland, at Cleveland, Ohio, will continue efforts to locate the following. <laughs> Why would there be documents in Cleveland? Damn, I really wish people knew history because it's really hard towing the line here so I don't release something that's still considered classified, but hey, I'm pointing some things out. You know, you can always do an open records request to these bureaus for specific documents that can't be avoided because they're past a year and we can actually fight it. But you know what? I feel like, you know, I file lawsuits that pertain to me and help. And uh, hopefully you guys are taking that as a lesson to do it yourself. Hello. Hello. Pay attention. We have everything we need to take them out. Pull out all that dirty laundry. Let's continue. Job. To think that the government is so well-oiled that it can maintain a secret for that long, maintain an active conspiracy, is it's a, it's a tough pill to swallow. He says instead of giving life to the conspiracy theories, there is a better question to ask that applies to more than just the JFK files. Is the government being responsible with the information that it does have? So with everything that we're seeing with this JFK case, do you think that the word classified has now been diluted? That's a good question. What I'm hoping will come of this is that people will start to ask the question, why was it classified? Why was it kept from me? And although the president has given the directive, it's still not clear on exactly when the rest of those files are going to be released. Yeah, it's just fascinating all around, and so much remains to be seen if they all will, in exactly. fact, be released. And like you said, when? When? Well, there's a rude saying in Greek. I won't say it. But when? Well, let's look at a memo that JFK released to NASA right before his death, just 10 days before he was killed. Pretty interesting. Please tell me that, okay, sound was on. Just making sure. Let's go. A declassified memo from President Kennedy demands that the CIA share its UFO intelligence with NASA. This letter is dated 10 days before the assassination. Is there a connection? Could the explosive letter help solve one of the most shocking murders in history? I mean, this document is absolutely sensational. Were Kennedy's probes with the CIA about UFOs cause for alarm or even possibly assassination? November 22nd, 1963. 12.30 p.m. Shots ring out across Dealey Plaza in Dallas ending the life of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy and sending a nation into mourning. The JFK assassination is one of the most controversial and polarizing cases in American history. It's a decades-old question. Who killed JFK and why? The President of the United States is dead. Over the last 50 years, there have been numerous theories about Kennedy's death. David Marwell headed a review of classified records relating to the assassination. After the assassination, there were a number of official inquiries that were charged with determining exactly what happened to the president. 
1964, the Warren Commission, the official government investigation into Kennedy's assassination, concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald was responsible for the president's death. But many believe there are numerous inconsistencies with the lone gunman theory. It was a crime that was witnessed by hundreds of people, and it's only natural that their observations would differ. Many people believe that JFK had made powerful enemies, even the CIA, and that they were responsible for his assassination. Fire. Conspiracy theories linking the CIA to Kennedy's death are well documented. But in 2010, a sensational declassified government memo emerged that some thought provided new possible motives for the agency's involvement in the assassination. A document written by JFK himself. Ten days before JFK was assassinated, he had drafted a letter to the CIA requesting all UFO documents to be released to him. In the letter, the president also orders the agency to share their secret UFO files with NASA. It says to the CIA, you will share this information about these unknowns, which... You will share this information of the unknowns. Because, you know, jaunty people approached, oh, you know, this is, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. And we need to not get on the relay. They're pushing the relay. We need to fix this, per se, allegedly. That's the story. But wait, it gets better. Huh? Oh, you need to tell people about aliens. Oh, when you, when, what, what aliens? What define alien? Let's continue. Which means UFOs. You share this so that NASA's mission directors will be assisted in undertaking their defensive responsibilities. The date of the letter is intriguing. You've got to wonder if there's a correlation in this short time period between the letter being sent and the assassination. Following the Roswell incident, where an extraterrestrial craft allegedly crashed in New Mexico, the CIA set up a covert group to monitor UFO activity in the U.S. and abroad. Over the following years, it documented and cataloged thousands of sightings. All of a sudden, they're being requested to give over all those documents to President Kennedy. This document is absolutely sensational because when you start talking about sharing information with other agencies, that's the one thing the CIA never liked to do. Now we have to ask the question, were Kennedy's probes with the CIA about UFOs cause for alarm or even possibly assassination? This suggestion is unconvincing. But to the CIA, Kennedy's letter may also contain a second, greater threat. This document also goes on to talk about a program of cooperation with the Soviet Union in space. It essentially instructs the CIA to initiate a data-sharing program with the Soviet Union. The request follows the speech Kennedy gave at the UN where he even suggests that he will collaborate with the Russians on the biggest prize in space. A manned mission to the moon. In the field of space, there is room for new cooperation. 
Mackenzie was actually interested in starting up a joint program between the Soviets and the U.S. to combine our efforts to try and get to the lunar surface. I include among these possibilities a joint expedition to the moon. Some authors and historians suggest that the CIA was infuriated by Kennedy's repeated attempts to cooperate with America's Cold War enemy. This is a period of extreme tension between the superpowers. The theory was that he was uh, killed by the CIA, who feared that he was going soft on the Soviet threat. The revelations in the 2010 JFK memo spark a media frenzy. They appear to provide crucial new evidence for the most controversial murder investigation of the 20th century. Is the letter a motive? Is this a smoking gun? Since the letter was discovered, some have claimed it is a fake. Image analyst Mark D'Antonio assesses its authenticity. Usually we might expect to see top secret down at the bottom and a big stenciled outline or a stamp. The director's name and the top heading are not in the same place as in his other letters. There are discrepancies. That's true. But that doesn't mean it's a fake. David Marwell questions why only one copy of the letter has been provided for investigators. The document looks like a copy. It looks like a carbon copy. So it begs the question where the original is and also why the top has been redacted. Documents do not exist on their own. In 2017, the CIA will release thousands of classified files relating to JFK's death. Perhaps they contain the original letter and will shed more light onto who was behind the assassination. Until then, debate will continue to rage about exactly what happened on that fateful day in Dallas in November 1963. So he was working with the Soviets, right, apparently, to break open aliens. Because aliens. And that's a bad thing about talking about the moon and aliens. I'm just saying aliens. You know, I see a lot of people moaning about the buffering. Guys, if I was funded like crazy, if every single person that downloaded my show gave me a dollar, I would be CNN. Legit. So please don't complain. I'm trying to do my best. And I'm walking a thin line today by putting some stuff out. Now, just a quick update before we head into unraveling this whole Jackie thing. The wives. The handlers. Because, you know, it would suck if America knew what they did. So, I just want to say, anyone telling you that this is a nail-biting situation with the 118th Congress, you need to turn them the fuck off now. The people saying, oh, look, it's the end of an era, and da, 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 da. Stop. Look at the numbers, okay? The numbers tell you everything, that it's a deal, that was done, and that was it, right? So McCarthy lost the majority votes, and they're going to do another, you know, vote because he lost, right? He only lost by nine votes, right? Nine votes. And ten votes went to Biggs. Nine votes, 19 in total, or what, were shied away from the lead people, which was Jeffries and McCarthy, so 19, damn symbology of their downfall. Anyone telling you that this is, 
you know, oh my God, Congress, it's so nail biting. It's this. It's such bullshit. Okay? Turn them the fuck off. Uh, this is a CAA production. The deals have already been made. All right? Already been made. Don't even watch it. Now, let's move on. Let's move on. Aliens. But let's listen to what Jackie Kennedy would say in her own words. Or, you know, let's go to, let's follow the money a little bit. Let's follow the money. Money tells you a lot more than anything else. Let's just jump over to money. Look at the money. Oh, and uh, by the way, soft tissue cancer, lymphoma, big weapon, you guys. We're seeing a lot of it with the vax, too. Big weapon. Big weapon. Big weapon. Well, let's get into the money. So Jackie had all this money. Who got the money? Who got the money? Who got the money? Well, let's see. Who got the money? Did you know that when Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis passed away in 1994, one of the former First Lady's close relatives was completely cut out of her will? Who was it? Keep watching to find out. Former First Lady Jackie Kennedy was widowed after her husband, President John F. Kennedy, was assassinated in Dallas, Texas on November 22, 1963. They had been married for a decade. The two first met at a party in Washington, D.C. in 1952. Then, in 1953, the couple wed in Newport, Rhode Island. The Kennedys would have four children in their marriage, and they suffered a lot of loss. The birth of their first child, reportedly nicknamed Arabella, in 1956, was a stillbirth. In 1957, they welcomed another daughter named Caroline. Afterwards, the couple's first son, JFK Jr., was born in 1960. The Kennedys would also welcome a second son they named Patrick in 1963, but he didn't live past two days, says First Lady. The newborn's death happened in August 1963, just three months before his father's assassination. After JFK's death, Jackie would become Jackie Kennedy Onassis. When she married Greek businessman Aristotle Onassis in 1968, the marriage was a shock for many Americans who felt like the former first lady was moving on too soon. Yet the couple stayed married up until Aristotle Onassis' death in 1975. The twice-widowed Kennedy Onassis would outlive her last husband by 19 years before her own death on May 19, 1994, of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now she's in God's hands. Uh, there's been an enormous outpouring of good wishes. Jackie Kennedy Onassis was survived by her two living children, Caroline and John Jr., and three grandchildren. She never remarried after Onassis died, but at the time of her death, she was partnered with Maurice Templesman. She would die in the New York City apartment she shared with him. A month after her death, her last will and testament was revealed, according to the Washington Post. In her will, she named Templesman as the executor and left him a Greek statue. The apartment they lived in together was left for Kennedy Onassis's two children. They also received half a million dollars, evenly split with $250,000 for each. Along with the money, Caroline and John Jr. were also granted the principal funds from a trust their father created. All the furniture and other belongings in her apartment, as well as two properties in Martha's Vineyard, were left to the Kennedy children. Yet, one of the standout requirements of the will was also left to them. The children were given some of their mother's personal documents, with special instructions stating they would never be made public. Kennedy Onassis didn't leave her young sister, Lee Radswell, anything, but did grant her niece and nephew income from a $1 million trust, per the Washington Post. 
It's unclear why Radswell was left out of the will, but one could assume that it has to do with the possibility that the sisters were not on good terms. Before Aristotle Onassis married Kennedy, he was purportedly dating the younger sister first. When the news of their engagement broke, Radswell was devastated, and though she supported the pair, the coupling reportedly fractured their sisterhood, according to Vanity Fair. Other inheritors named in the will were close friends Nancy Tuckerman and Rachel Mellon, who also received a quarter million dollars in two paintings, respectively. The remainder of the money left was directed to be placed in a charitable trust to be accessed by Jackie's three grandchildren, Rose, Tatiana, and John Slosberg, all of whom were from her daughter, Caroline Kennedy Slosberg. Jackie Kennedy Onassis' stepbrother, Hugh Auchinclaus III, would inherit the family's Hammersmith Farm in Newport, Rhode Island, per the Washington Post. Her mother, Janet Lee Bouvier, left it to her, but the farm was actually in the Auchinclaus family for generations. Because of Bouvier's marriage to Hugh D. Auchinclaus Jr., she inherited the land when he died and left it to her oldest daughter. The farm was where the Kennedys got married in 1953. Both Kennedy Onassis and Auchincloss III grew up in the home, and though she had other step-siblings, the two were very close. He was living in the home at the time of his death, also of lymphoma, in 2015, according to the Associated Press. When Kennedy Onassis died, her estate was estimated to be worth $43 million, per an estimate by the estate's executors. Check out one of our newest videos right here. Plus, even more grunge videos about people from history are coming soon. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss a single one. Money tells you a lot. And she died 19 years later on the 19th of the month. Like, it's so weird. 19, 19, 19, 19. Remember, your genetic code is mathematically accurate. It is perfection. Do you guys know that Hitler actually replicated the Parthenon, you know, in his endeavors? He attempted to replicate the Parthenon in Greece because it was perfection. It is the perfect rectangle, yet no one can replicate it. And no one understands how it stands tall. Architects have battled with that, almost like they do the pyramids. And it's so mathematically accurate. It's so bizarre. So bizarre. And 19 votes, 19 this, 19 that, 1919. Well, Let's go to 1995, where JFK Jr. unveils George magazine. Uh, George was not going to have any of it. George was going to lay it all out on the line. I'm pretty sure his mom told him everything. Because you do tell your kids on your way out what they should be careful of. And John had the spirit of his dad. He was like, you know what? They may have put me in as a maturing candidate. But they can't control me, and this is not okay. Not okay. So, not okay. So, we're going to fix this. And, well, he tried to fix it, thinking there's so many cameras on me, it's not like they'll do anything. But then Jackie had to do another mission from the CIA. We'll get into that. But before we do, let's look at George Magazine. Who was that guy getting so much attention from the media this morning? By George? That was John, as in John F. Kennedy Jr. And to throw this out just a little bit further, George is the name of a magazine he started. 
Bertha Coombs has the tape. The premiere issue of George looks red hot with supermodel Cindy Crawford on the cover and a lot of big name advertisers inside. A very big launch in no small part because John F. Kennedy Jr. is editor-in-chief. Certainly it helps and it draws attention and what any new launch needs is that. Uh, but ultimately this magazine is going to stand or fall on whether or not it's a good magazine. The magazine aims for a hip look at politics without heavy partisan ideology. What it won't have is gossip about Paul or John Jr., who address rumors of his engagement to girlfriend Caroline Bessette right off the bat. The answers to the most frequently asked personal questions are as follows. Yes, no, we're merely good friends, none of your business, honest, she's my cousin from Rhode Island, I've worn both, maybe someday, but not in New Jersey. John Jr. seemed to enjoy the banter with the press much as his father Jack did in the White House. If his mother Jackie were still alive, he says she'd enjoy seeing him succeed. I think that uh, my mother would be mildly bemused. I think that she'd be glad that she wasn't standing up here. And I think that she'd be very proud. Kennedy and his partners say launching George has been stressful, but success is taking the edge off. The first two issues have more than a hundred pages of advertising and already they're planning to make the bi-monthly magazine a monthly venture after the first year. In Lower Manhattan, I'm Bertha Coombs, Channel 7, Eyewitness News. Uh, George, we'll have to see if it works. And for uh, What's Your Name and Sam Champion and the rest of the Eyewitness News team. What's her name? Dan. Talk about belittling the reporter, Bertha Combs. Huh. By George. George Washington outfit on Cindy Crawford. George Wallace on the front, just saying. He wanted to put it all out there. There's this little book of details that were awesome that he put out. Oh, he was pushing the envelope too far. But I think it's important for us to take a look at Aristotle and Jackie Onassis, the wedding, the yacht, the island, and the end. See, seeing things with a timeline hop makes you understand things a little bit better. Just keep that scene, the ribs floating by. We're now approaching you.